Hi everybody, this is Jeremy from In Bed by Nine. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you're enjoying the episode and wondering how you can support the show, there are several ways you can go about this. First one would be to leave a rating on your preferred, your preferred platform. Um, the second one would be to leave a review. Um, I know not all, not all platforms have the option to leave a review. So if you can't on your platform, um, consider going to Podchaser and leaving a review there. Um, reviews help us get out there, help folks who might be on the fence or looking for something similar to things that they like. Um, just get the show in front of new people. And then finally, um, if you haven't subscribed to the show on, again, your preferred platform, please do so. Um, and also feel free to share it with a friend. Um, word of mouth is such a powerful tool still in the digital age. On to today's episode, and I hope you enjoy it. Hey, 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 how's it going, everybody? Yeah, what's going on? Not much. How was your weekend, man? Got the COVID again. Um, yeah, I got COVID. I was sick last week. <laughs> I wasn't feeling good as I cough into the microphone. I'm sorry. Um, wasn't feeling good all week. Thought I just had a head cold, like all symptoms of a head cold the entire week. Um, started coughing really bad. On uh, like Thursday night, Friday morning, so we got tested. It literally, bef- like, the test, like one of those like little at home ones. And you yeah. drop the drops into the like the drop thing. One, two drops in the thing was already red. Like the whole thing was like, boom, boom. I'm like, damn, oh damn, uh, Yeah, I was like, this is fast. Like, I don't need 15 minutes to tell me that I have COVID. All right, cool. Uh, I am impressed by your by your viral contact. But literally, I by I nothing else. Like I've had COVID before. Like I was in bed, <laughs> coughing, you know, dying, sleeping, had a huge temperature. I just had a head cold. Hmm. And I was like, this is weird. Um, but yeah, the only reason I got tested because I was like coughing a lot and I was like feeling dizzy and like I felt out of air. And so I was like, well, might as well get tested and see what this is. And came back positive for COVID. So Doing well. I mean, my O2 never really dropped below like 94. So, you know, they say 95 is where you kind of like above 95 is where you want to be anyways. So I was like, yeah, well, I'm still breathing. So that's good. Um, occasional days I just fell out of wind, tired. I don't know that. I'm alive. That's always a good start to the day. <laughs> so you are alive. So um, that was kind of weird. Um, so we were going to do a bunch of things to like, hey, we're just going to stay home all day. So that is a good way to save money. Yep, like if you getting COVID and profiting off of it, man. And all the kids, and the best and worst part is both my children, nothing. No head <laughs> cold, no coughing, no sneezing, negative. Fine. Mrs. and I, we like had a massive head cold. She's got a, got like a buggy face for a little bit, but way better than yesterday. She was horrible yesterday. Um, but no. Well, that's good. It's always good when it's it kind of goes with uh with no uh main events or any special or special extracurricular activities. So yeah. you can uh, talk that when you're coming COVID better. Look at you. I I I don't know. Yeah. So I was like, I couldn't. Yeah, could have been any better, I guess. But uh, yeah. So weird. Nice. Well, that's good at least. So. Weird disease, I can say that much right now. Weird virus. Yeah. How was well, your weekend? Oh, not too bad. I am uh, 
just continuing to make, I know I'm kind of boring with the updates in terms of uh, excitement, but it's getting up. Um, I mean, I'm walking around without the cane more and more. I mean, it's still limping a little bit, but it's mostly mm-hmm. just not limping because it hurt or it's painful, but I'm still, that left leg's not quite as strong yet. I mean, if, yeah. I, have a, if I have a cane, I, I barely can put the cane down and, I, and I'm, I'm walking about my normal pace. Which was a pretty long stride. I mean, I've always walked at a quick, hectic pace, mm. and um, I'm pretty much back to that with the cane. I mean, I go up and down one and two steps now without even having the balance with the cane. So, it's, and, yeah, I think you're kind of conditioned to be that way with the cane a little bit too. So you have to kind of uncondition yourself. Yeah, yeah. That that was the other thing. So I'm I'm making an intent. I mean, I'm really ramping up what I'm what I'm doing. I mean, I'm doing like. Uh, at the amount of walking I'm doing in this house is mm-hmm. incredible, and <laughs> like I probably need to get. I'm curious. I probably should get something to uh, map how many steps or the distance I cover. I mean, I can't say I'm walking miles because I don't know that. But um, I mean, I'm definitely walking around all the time, and then um, just I mean, lift you know, lifting weights with my legs in terms of that um i got those strap weights that go around your weight so i've been doing i do those constantly i'm doing Sweet. stretches all the time so i feel pretty good i, I think within another month or so i'll pretty much be back normally sure, walking a year from, yeah, year from, just, you know a year from now you'll be in a marathon hopefully <laughs> no <laughs> but um no that's not like i'm sweet enough to, to be able to know your fast stupid drop but didn't go the way but i'm hoping sooner than later he said between six and 18 months so oh, I, that's in january will be at six months so it's insane to think how much you went from being pretty much bedridden to walking so quickly yeah oh. well in the the curve has been essentially a uh I mean, it's been parabolic lately, like exponential growth. Because That's good. a month, a month and a half ago, I was really using the walker, and I haven't touched that thing in probably a couple of weeks. And, you know, I'm driving myself. So be my second week of driving myself to physical therapy, and then um, I do think it's ironic. My mom had fallen a couple of weeks ago and uh, hurt her arm, so she's actually going to be going. <laughs> physical therapy just find it ironic i'll be driving her but uh, oh well look at that switching yeah, roles yeah exactly but um the only thing i have on my hip is that i have a, a, a i think it's a muscle i'm not sure if there's some scar tissue there i don't think it's scar tissue i just think it's my muscle i'm not sure if it has anything to do with the nerve over there not waking up like it still gets kind of um tight like if I sleep, once i go to sleep It'll get really tight. I'm walking around, stretch it some, it'll be good. I'm not sure if I just have to stretch it or work it, and then it'll just suddenly decide it's going to feel normal again. Or I don't know enough about that, and I really can't find anything that gives me an, an answer. I get different things that sound similar, but it doesn't really, I don't think it applies to me. So I'm waiting for, I have my appointment with my orthopedic, and he's also on the doctor. So I'm hoping he can tell me, because even the physical therapist really hasn't given me a good answer and i don't want to like press it i don't want to make a mat <laughs> yeah they're, they're they're pushing you and pulling you they don't make a mat 100 yeah exactly so but that's about been about my about my week and then just all getting right. ready for christmas obviously so yeah the holidays are around all around us now so yeah uh yeah 
So let's see. Last last time we talked, we had a guest speaker, Mind Salty, on here. Yeah. Um, I guess you know. Let's go back and reflect on that a little bit. I mean, we learned a lot from him. Um, yeah. Yeah. And of of all the content creators we've had on our channel, he was definitely more business oriented, and it was it was exciting to talk to him about some of those ideas. Yeah, I thought he had um definitely a better uh, business grasp than uh pretty much everybody in terms of uh like that was his seemed like his main focus and he talked about that a lot like how he handled mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of the business side and um i do think that's a, a good thing especially if you are going to be part of an organization like you know he is um to have a business mind if you're not one yourself and you know his case he happens to handle that stuff so i think he's got a you know a good grasp of you know, things as they grow, you know, how to take it to the next step. And he talked about, you know, they've got some really good ideas that mm -hmm. they've got prepared, you know, should hey, this happen or this happen or this growth happen. So it, it's a good thing. You know, it's a, a business plan. I mean, businesses should have a business plan. And I know it's content creation. People always think of it as business. And he even talked about, you know, some people talk about it as a hobby, but, you know, you need a business plan. And it sounds like they've got, you know, a pretty good grasp on that. And so. it's cool to see, the, you know, from that perspective, too, because we always talk about how, you know, if you want to grow in content creation, you have to have that plan. You have to have that target. You have to have where you're going to be in two years. What's the next steps? What's this next role? What happens if this happens? And it seems that with the mind of Salty, his mind is thinking that. He's thinking of all these different avenues and these paths, um, not just with the Volvin group, and the the esports group that he's working with um but also just like in his own world like how he did it like he talked about how he changed his business or his you know uh profile and how he markets himself and how he built that around this concept and this is what he wanted to do and built this entire world around that concept and i think that is something to really think about too as a content creator is that business aspect of it and mm -hmm what you're going to do and how do you mark yourself? How do you build upon yourself? How do you grow upon yourself? And it's a, it's, I don't know. It was a good insight into that field um, yeah. that no, the groups we always kind of talked about a little bit or hinted towards it, but like he's all full on the business aspect of it. He really, you know, is working on the back room, the back door, the stuff that you do offline. Yeah. Um, dramatically so that it's cool to talk to him about that and see that difference yeah and then i liked also to um kind of like where he wanted to be you know in five years and i even like how he brought up uh some of the things like being part of that uh group that comes like whether it's a like an organization like yeah. i know we went into fifa this as an example for like um kind of bringing the uh content creation gaming uh streamer groups under yes. a um, under one umbrella yeah exactly yeah. Um, you know setting you know kind of helping to define that um how you know how things are kind of um you oh, know monitored reg regulated he wasn't talking like hey this person has to do this this person you know they, this person has to be like that but he wants to be part of of that well, like kind of like like in the like and like best example maybe like the uh like NFL or NHL. Yeah. They have caps on things and like limits on stuff. And 
and regulations on like how much money a certain group can bring yeah. in or how much you can pay it, pay a player and, you know, to kind of create this. I think, yeah, he brought up a good point. Environment. Like, and yeah. Keep it legitimate. I think was a good point that he brought up, like how he said some things, you know, people can get money in and out of these teams and how yeah. maybe some of their best intentions aren't there. Or these people can get, can get screwed and i mean his, his example of fifa they're like the most corrupt organization in the world yeah. is uh you know is a good example of why a positive body like an like an nfl or an nhl where there's some you know protection yeah, yeah. um and, and i think it would be an be an interesting way to see how you know what direction that all went in so It'd be cool to see how that plays out. And with esports in general, is looking at the the field. It's it's a growing, mm-hmm. growing field as well as like just oh, not, and even like tournaments not, and having things organized and well, not even like tournaments, but just the, the sponsorships, the money yeah. involved in esports is just dramatic. Mm-hmm. And you know that was a good point. Yeah, he did bring that up, and that makes sense. Is that with all the money coming in, it is kind of wild westy, like. Mm-hmm. There's no regulation. There's people doing it in nefarious ways, laundering money, moving this around, causing this concern, just all of a sudden dropping orgs because they made a ton of money and just leaving away. So that's mm-hmm. it's all terrifying if you think about it. So Yeah. And it can stun, you know, I think it can stun or put bad taste in, you know, content creators' mouths and just leave them with like a, a bad feeling about it. And who knows how many people it's potentially snuffed out or you know would you mm-hmm. know they're like eh, am i gonna do this because uh you know i had this bad experience so yeah i think it's definitely important and i, mean, I definitely think it's gonna happen so it'll be interesting it'd be cool so yeah so yeah if you haven't listened to that pod that that one from us that episode definitely go back and check it out yeah um it's worth a listen to it allows you to really think about some stuff in different perspectives. So if you're a content creator, please go back to listen to last week's episode. And uh, yeah, definitely check that out. I would, if you're a content creator, I'd really go back and really listen to last three or four episodes. Um, I have a couple interviews in there, but even like the stuff we talk about between like today and mm-hmm. after Mythical Dragons have been pretty good uh, topics. And those two guys really bring different perspectives, but they're both really useful um they've got information in there that i think would value pretty much yeah, everybody it does and so. that's the whole point of us bringing these people on is it gives us perspective it makes us mm-hmm. sound uh it makes us sound like we know what we're talking about because we're just up here talking and exactly. this podcast with microphones but then we bring people in they're like oh yeah this is what we do it's like, yeah that's yeah same point yeah, yeah exactly. good. like yeah they're not crazy to a degree um <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Sorry. all right, so let's jump into some stuff for tonight. Yeah, let's jump into some stuff. Um, so backstory about what we're gonna talk about. Um, I was, if you follow me on Twitter, I put a tweet out there this morning. It's like, hey, do you want to know my two cents about the American education system? And some people put in their yes, yes, thumbs up, let's go, let's go. And I was like, all right, yeah, yeah, I could do this. And I started typing this out. 
and thinking about making like a tweet. And I thought, well, I'll make a couple tweets and kind of summarize it. And that turned into, well, I should do one of those twit longer things. And so I do the twit longer piece. And then it turned into, well, I should take that and put it on a, a Word document. And as I'm doing this, it's become longer and longer and longer. It ends up being about four to four and a half pages of single space typed writing that I'm just kind of rambling out and putting information out there. Um, so I did send it to Jeremy and Jeremy, my like first paragraph and Jeremy goes, oh, this would be great for a podcast. And I said, yeah, that'd probably be wise <laughs> because I was going to town on it. Um, so what is what? Okay. Jeremy, I'm going to take yeah. over for a little bit. Sorry, but that's all right. What came across the table sitting on TikTok one night or actually the, in the morning and I came across this guy um, and I follow a lot of educators. I'm a teacher. We all know this. I teach online. I've been teaching education now for over 10, about, well, I would say about 11 years now. I've been in the field of education, um, maybe 12 if you want to be technical, but I've been in, in education for about 11 years. So I was sitting in there. I was I follow a lot of education TikToks. Love them. Joke about them. They always do the you know teacher moments and like, ah, oh, yeah, I know what that feeling is. But this one guy came across, and he kind of gave me like an irk moment. And his main premise was the fear of the education system dwindling down to for-profit school programs or for-profit holders, as well as, um very specific niche groups like evangelicals or uh, right wings or left super left wings or like super weird groups taking over the education process and having these like weird silo group systems and, and kind of, you know, going off this weird, like apocalyptic doom moment of the education system. And I'm going, okay, either he's not a teacher or he is one of those people that stands in front of the, te- the group and says, this is how you teach. And I despise those human beings with a, a passion. Um, but I wanted to talk about it and explain it from my perspective. And this is something I brought up to like my coach, my teachers I work with, the different PD programs I go to and the groups that I work with, um, the ISDs that I work with. And I get a lot of head nods like, yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, so I may take this farther in my career later on when I start really having time to flush things out, but this is my opinion with some support based on my evidence of my personal life, as well as just what I've seen in the world around me. So I'm going to put that little star next to it. So people are like, well, this is what I understand. This is my world. Let me live in it. And I'll explain what I'm seeing. Um, so yeah, I've been in education now for about 10 years, 12 years in total, this education process. When I graduated in 2012, I graduated into a recession, um, where there was absolutely no teachers. And the reason why that made sense and point out is when I went in education, it was an open field. It was great to get into. Everyone was getting jobs. That's because everyone that was in there at time was retiring. So when I got out, no one was retiring because we were in a recession. They didn't want to retire. So they were sitting in the recession, making more money, keeping up their time to add into their pensions here in Michigan to make sure that they can leave on good terms. So when I when I was doing leaving education, going to college to go find a job, there was no opportunity for me to find a job in the field unless I wanted to move to Alaska. And that wasn't happening. 
um, or Hawaii. That was my other option. I was like, no, I can't move to Hawaii. It's too expensive and they're not paying more than nothing. So then I ended up going into a field of uh, business. I just found, I ended up getting a job working with somebody I knew um, and I ended up getting climbing the corporate ladder, getting a, a team to manage. And I was working as a contractor person in a bank for loans. So I was looking at bank loans all day and processing bank loans and contracts for them for auto, auto car for vehicles and end up being a manager of a team of 20 people at one point in time. And then I left because I wanted to be an educator. I wanted to be in education. I wasn't having fun in the corporate world. It wasn't my thing. I didn't feel fulfilled. So I wanted to go back in education. So my girlfriend slash almost wife at the time was like, just go, just do this. We'll make it happen. Let's do this. We'll be okay. So, okay, let's jump ship. So I ended up finding a job. Now, mind you, there's a lot of things wrong with education. And I'm going to stop here my story at this point because there's, in my mind, there's three massive reasons why education in America is where it is. One, the biggest one I want to point to is education is seen as a secondary income. It doesn't affect the GDP directly. So in turn, it is a secondary income. It's not seen to be valuable at that level. In comparison to me working at the bank, doing loans and processing loans and getting people into cars and putting that car into the putting that person in, into debt long term, you know, into debt for that car and getting the bank more money was it, it in many ways a factor of the GDP, which in turn gives profit to America. Teaching does not do that. Teaching does not have a direct effect on the gross domestic product. In turn, it's not seen to be a primary job, quote unquote, secondary. Um, it's always a secondary position. Historically, it's always been that way. If you look back history-wise, it is seen to be the wife's duty to do during the time the kids are in school. That is it. It is weirdly done that way. And then prior to that, it was always seen to be some prestigious, super hoity-toity dude that was part of the town that did some small things. But when it started evolving into the more modern version of it, that's what it kind of became. And that was during the 1950s. It was the secondary income in the 1950s. So evolving that way. So that's one of the reasons I, I see Amer the American education system the, the way it is now. The second thing that I always like to point to is that it is um, in a way, what is that? How did I put it? It is, it's overworked and underpaid system that the phrase you do it for the kids is used way too much. That phrase is overly used in the education system from the bottom up. And I don't care who you are. That is this phrase that is extremely overused. You do it for the kids. You don't go in education for money. You do it for the kids. Yes, I do it for the kids. That is the highlight of my day is working with kids and teaching them my subject and getting them excited about education so that one day maybe they will do something cool with it and be super insane with it. And I would like be proud for their moments. Like that is it. 
or the moments when I go to graduation and the kid, you know, and mom gives me a hug because they they were downtrodden and they were thinking about education. But, you know, my kind words got them. Yes, I love every moment of that. But man, I got to live. I got to put food on my table and I have a family as well. So I can't work 80 plus hours a week to make enough money to survive in the field of education and then also be able to be home for my kids so I can support them at home in education so they can do be good at education at their, so like a, it's a bad cycle because if you're a teacher, you're just put into the system and you're just grounded out. Um, and I'll explain that a lot more in a minute um, in more detail because I'll kind of add these all together in one group. And then lastly, politics there's too much politics involved in education that it's ridiculous like i don't know how to explain it that way i'm not going to go down the super political road um political road but there is just especially i'm a i'm a history teacher and how many debates i go into about history and what should be taught and what shouldn't be taught and how it should be taught and what word should we be used and it should that phrase be used or this phrase be used or that phrase you better coddle me and not hurt my feelings oh my gosh there's been i could tell you stories about people and arguments that i've had if that you has make made me sad i'm calling the hot that has now. made my eyes melt I've done this for 10 years and I've actually had so every year I've had arguments with somebody on a political platform, like teacher. Okay. Parent wise, it's kind of common. You have a parent that, that believes one thing you, and once you talk to him, usually it's not a big deal. I've had a few, I've actually had a parent made me break down in tears. Cause I was like, I was so angry. I don't know where to go with you anymore. And like your emotions were so built up and we were just going back and forth. And I'm like, I can't get anywhere with you and you can't get in with me. Your, your kid, it, it's like, you're going to be messed up. Your child's going to be messed up. We're going to have problems. Like, I don't want to tell you, like, I don't know what you want out of me. And he was just gone. Like it was, there was nothing I could do with that family. And it's just like, I, I, I'm sorry, do what you want then but I'm not changing my life. And it got, it got bad. Guys, uh, you would be impressed. You can see him right now. He's turning green. Oh, <laughs> ripping. oh, I was so angry. It was, and then I've had arguments with politicians about like the difference between having a phrase says core democratic value to, to democratic value and losing my phrase like you're gonna spend thousands of taxpayers dollars to change the word core to more democratic or no core american value to more democratic value because it sounds like democracy it sounds like democratic which sounds like, say. like calm down it's not i'm not i'm not putting that in their mind so they vote democrat like that's that democrat it's a word it's the phrase democracy is democratic like democratic is like no no, it's American language. There's multiple phrases for multiple words. Like we say cool and cool. It doesn't mean that that thing's cold. It also means that that thing's pretty cool. Like it's the same thing. So anyways, so that's the politic part of it. And it's hilariously just bogs everything down. Ever since No Child Left Behind, it's just made everything very grindy. Like it, mm, mm. Mm. Oh boy, you use the word grind. Oh, it well, I'm just, I did because it's the best way to explain it. It slows everything down. Everything just halts. Uh man. <laughs> so I get you. 
So that's my like three stance points about this whole situation. Um, and so continuing my random rant story. So I left <laughs> education. Uh, or left working in um, a bank and went into education. The job I went into was going to pay me less. And by less, I mean dramatically less. I got half the money I was getting paid in the bank yearly than, than to become a teacher. First year teacher, I graduated for years. I have some experience. I taught the corporate world. I actually was a teacher in the corporate world that the, when I left, they actually took the program that I created and, re and developed it into their national program. It's now what they teach at their national level to explain the job that I did. So I got no money for it because they did it on their computers and they took it because it was part of their blah, 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 but whatever. So they use that now. Um, so have experience, have, you know, this stuff. They're like, well, you're a first year teacher. All right, cool. So I got paid half the funds. Figuring that I would have ability to make more money in other ways. Um, but within, and let me explain to you this. I got half the funds. I was making less than somebody working at McDonald's at the age of 18. But we value you and what you do. I I did never realize that until they started pro like putting it on site. We paid this much dollars an hour at the local McDonald's. And then when I looked at my paycheck where it says uh, per hour and they, they, the best part is on the paychecks they would give me. And they said, oh, you only work 39 hours or 38 hours a week. <laughs> and that I got paid this much per hour. And I looked at that and I went, ah, okay. Okay. Wow. So then I was like, okay, this hurts. So then I realized really early on, like, hey, I need to find a second job or more income. So I sat down and really started calculating my hours this morning and figured out my first two years of teaching, how many hours I actually worked. Lesson planning, everything outside, grading, everything in between. On average, I would work a week. So normally you work 40 hours. That's what the world normally works is 40 hours. Yeah. I was working at minimum 50 hours a week. Minimum. Some weeks I would work more, some weeks I work less, but minimum every week, Monday through Friday, I was working at minimum 50 to 55 hours. So I have that list. So that's the week. All right. So that's that. So I'm like, I need to make more money. So I have to go find another job. Started working in retail where I work in the evenings pretty much from five o'clock until. 10 o'clock every night. And I did that four days out of the week. So four times 10 is an additional 20 hours. So over a week, I was working about 90 to almost 100 hours every week to make money enough to, for me to pay for my apartment, food, gas, and my student loans. Damn. I'm not, that's not, I mean, I'm being realistic. That's like a, a very realistic number for the first three years, four years of my education career. I was working about a hundred hours a week. That's before kids. So I didn't have children that we deal with. And then we got married and I worked a little bit more. And then we had our first kid. Then I started cutting back some hours. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I got a little bit more money every year, but it wasn't enough to make me go, okay, let's stop. 
So I've been in education for 10 years. Last year was the first year I stopped working a second job. Wow. 10 years in, huh? Eight years. Eight years when I decided, you know what? I can't work another job. Damn. So that, and you have to realize too, is as an educator, I always thought this was weird. So I'm working those two jobs and this ties into the overworked underpaid situation during a, during a day, you know, I'm, I'm doing a thousand million things. I am teaching classes. I'm working with kids, um, utilizing like a, a, a person in the classroom. They go to school at maybe middle school. They start school at 7.30, 7.15 in the morning. Every hour of that day is in what I call the show. You're with kids. You're <clears throat> sorry. You're with students every hour of that day. You can't do anything else. You're teaching, you're providing lesson, you're getting them to work, you're giving instruction, you're finding out what they know, you're working on deficits, you're working with special education students, you're helping them out, you're giving them modifications, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. So your day from seven in the morning to the last bell at three something is that. So I have to come to school early to prepare for the day. So I'm there at six in the morning and I might not leave until six o'clock at night because I have to grading follow up with parent emails, follow up with administrative emails, follow up with ISD emails, work on uh, lesson planning for the next day, work on printing off all the paperwork I need. Oh, there's a staff meeting. There's this PD I have to attend to. There's this, there's, so like during the week, you're working until 12 hours days easily. And then don't even get me if you're a coach. If you're a coach for a sport, you're there till nine, 10 o'clock at night. Blink of an eye. Like, your your season, if you're coaching, you're there to 10 o'clock at night, and that's what you're doing. You have nothing else. So that is insane. And then they're expected to have families and have downtime and work, and you know, they have to work other jobs to make the differences. And when is that gonna ever happen? You know? And I'm blessed that I work at an online school where I I have ways to kind of manipulate my schedule a little bit more. I can do things differently. I can, you know, people are listening. Oh yeah. You come to live lesson or come to, um, you know, so-and-so, you know, uh, Twitch stream every once in a while or on this YouTube thing every once in a while. I see you on discord. Yeah. I am blessed because the field I'm in, the where I'm in, I'm able to kind of navigate that and do things differently, but some, you know, I'm still working from eight o'clock to four or five o'clock at night. Um, with kids stuff like i'm at a part of my career where i can i'm i can coast a little but i know what i'm doing i kind of figure things out but it took me five six years to figure that out to get there so it's ridiculous to think that is what's going on so it's part of that grind that 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 wind down and when i was going through education to become a teacher they always joked that, hey, look around you, 50% of you will not be in teaching in five years. And in 10 years, 25% of you will not be here. And I, you know, I was like, oh, that's funny. Ha ha. Then I really thought about it. I'm like, no, that's 
strong. By five years, if you don't have anything under control <laughs> or you're comfortable in your position or you have a way to support yourself, um, you're gone. You're not going to do it anymore. You're going to give five years and go, well, kids are beating me down. I'm working all the time. I don't make any money. I have no ability to survive. I'm out. I'm done. Yeah. And then 10 years, like maybe you get that student loan forgiveness in 10 years. If you don't get that forgiveness, then you might go one more year. But by that 25 mark, you're like, well, I'm having kids. I have my own things going on. I'm not making enough money by now. I'm out. And it's, 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 it's the process. I have friends that are leaving now. I have live seen coworkers that I work at and they've come, they go. I have friends that have been in education for years. They're like, I can't do this anymore. I'm out. I can't handle it anymore. There's too much going on. Uh, I'm burnt out beyond belief. It's, it is what it is. And even with the COVID situation, like, you know, teachers really stepped up and did what they could and really figured things out and made things happen. Like I had conversations with parents that were talking to grant their, or to kids that were talking to the dead grandmothers and or to parents, grandparents dying. And they were worried about their parents because the parents got COVID and they thought everything was collapsing. And I'm like, no, this, no, you're okay. Let's work this. And like, I'm trying to navigate them. And then they're worried about their math grade. And then they're worried like, no, that's like, pretty much becoming a therapist with these kids on the phone, just working with them through their mental state of their mind during COVID, which was to them was the end of the world. It was the apocalypse. I'm working with middle schoolers. Their hormones are all over the place. And so, <laughs> you know, that happens. And then we go back to like normal and I'm fried. <laughs> yeah. It's not even the end of the year. Like normally you get tired as an educator, like, Around March, you're like, okay, we're done. I'm, I'm kind of getting cooked. Where's, where's June? Let's make this happen. Um, but like, literally, end of November, I was like, I'm done. Like, I thought, I'm, I'm, I have it easy, but I thought multiple times, like, I'm out of here. Like, I can't handle this anymore. I don't know what else to do, and I'm getting beat down by my admin team i'm getting beat down by parents i'm getting beat down by politics i'm getting beat down by a lot of things and it's like i you know i sound like i'm whining here but it which one's the big having the biggest effect right now i would say our administration team what do they do or don't do they want the I guess it kind of ties into a lot of politic part of it. Um, so like in Michigan, a lot of the way schools get graded and how things work out is because of our national tests that we have to do. And that, again, that leads back to no child left behind. Um, <clears throat> so the state of Michigan is required for every student to, or every school to administer uh, a statewide test that is, supposed to kind of give a grade scale to how well the school is doing. Um, and it's not required by any student to technically do, but schools are required to push it onto the kids because it is a requirement of the school to get as many kids, 95% of the population to do the assessment. 
and more specifically, 95% of the population in very specific key areas to do the assessment so that they can get an accurate reading on possible changes or ups and downs that are happening in school. So um, that's a big component of it, as well as some other weird things, but they're kind of shoving that down on us and saying we got to do these magical hoops to jump through to make things happen and provide this report and track this data and provide this information and once a month we have to come up with a one monthly report explaining the following things and it's like <clears throat> my department has shown growth every year to about seven percent growth every year which is unheard of for social studies and, and stuff of that nature mm. and i go i pointed out to my administration like for for the past five years my team has proed a seven percent growth yearly why do we have to jump through the hoops yeah like we're doing the right things and things are going our direction. Why do we have to jump through the hoops? Well, it's a group effort is my response. Their response. And I go, I get that, but why do we have to jump through the hoops if our work is doing so like that weird mentality with a lot of the school thing, it goes back to say we do it for the kids. It's a group mentality. Everyone's helping each other. If the boat like, no, I'm doing the right thing. So if I was in a corporate world and I was doing the right thing, you would not make me have to do exactly the same thing that this old team is doing because they're not doing the right thing. I wouldn't do what purchasing is doing if 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 receiving is winning. Like, why am I doing this different? So, like this weird mentality behind that. But um, yeah. that's I guess my weird point with that. But I, I guess sense. yeah. But it, it, it when you talk to any teacher that leaves, majority of the time it's either because the administration is pounding them too hard right now, or parents are just ripping them a new ones and they can't handle it anymore. Hmm. So that's part yeah. of the teacher story. I mean, in teachers right now in like a brick and mortar setting, like teachers are getting the short end of the stick because if there's a class missing, they have to cover that class. There's no, like I had a 30 minute lunch break. I still have a 30 minute lunch break. I don't take a 30 minute lunch break. I don't get lunch. There's days I had to forget. When I was in school, I always forgot. When I was teaching in a brick and mortar, I always forgot my my lunch. I ate during like my one period, like a granola bar. (laughs) You don't go to the bathroom and you don't eat food. You just go through your day and you're like, wait, I should have ate something. My stomach hurts. Oh, I have a granola bar. Oh, hey, cool. Like, About telling the kids how important it is to eat Yeah, they should eat their lunches, but I'm starving. Um, Yeah, it's just... I don't know, it was mind-blowing. And the more you think about it, it's just, it, it's it's not seen to be that valuable of a program. Like, I think about, like, going to Norway and, like, thinking and hearing those teachers. Like, I've actually gone abroad and met, like, other teachers from outside of the U.S. and asked them questions about their day. Like, oh, yeah, it's I get paid this much money. I was like, oh, uh. And then I do, you know, I get an hour break and I get to do an hour of testing period. And they're like, okay, so you get two hours in your day for yourself. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's only for me. Like, I can't get it taken away. I have an hour for lunch and an hour for this. Seriously? It's like, yeah. You don't get an hour. I'm like, no, I get 30 minutes, maybe. Like, you can see the jealousy oozing off of him. Oh, my God. That was so that's like, yeah, and then people get always like my okay. My mom is a big, a big. Well, you get till your summers off. Yeah, I do because I deserve them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like 
you don't understand. I like it's not even summer. I get like one full month of like nothing, maybe, because the end of the end of the school year, I'm still technically working until all my stuff turned in. This is done and that stuff done. So that's usually, you know, two and a half weeks, and then I'm kind of prepping yeah. for the next year, and then I start extremely early because we got to prep for the year, and then we talk about like this, and we look at reports and sit through data meetings and blah. Yeah, some random person can tell me how to do my job better when they haven't been a teacher for 27 years. Or well, they tell you, you how, do bad, this. how bad is a disadvantage for online schools? That was, oh, I had a PD. Okay, we had a PD that was given to us about how horrible screen time is to kids. I work <laughs> in an online education program and like, well, screen time is very problematic for children. And it goes through this like whole like process. And then while we're why she's doing this, mind you, I'm on a screen and I go to my other screen and start pulling up all the evidence she points to. And then I go through and I raise my hand, like, do you realize in 2000, uh, 2015 that that evidence she pointed to was actually debunked by this people and these people, these people? Oh, no, that's not. No, that 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 I don't No, No, no. I was like, all right. Oh, wait, that one was debunked by these. So I was that ass in the back of the class. Like, just uh, stop talking. Lou, your audience. Like, you're talking to. I don't roll with it. Hey, you need to tell the administration that I need to be having less time with these kids. Oh, yeah. Get them out their health. Well, the 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 principal that I that I work with that I really like. He was looking at like I could see him across the room going. Like his eyes were so big. Like, what are we doing? Like, and he like left. He went to like the the superintendent. Like, why did you book this? Like, this makes no sense. And he's like, oh no, it's, it was really got good reviews and good comp- yeah <laughs> for a classroom. Like, <laughs> you guys are you guys are all horrible people making yeah we're, suffer. Uh, so, you know, like this is stupid. Um, but like, but that's like the down. I mean, back to the, the system. Like, it's just. The American education system is lost, and I think it's just been so defuddled with everything. And it sounds I'm gonna I'm gonna say this with like a super grain of salt moment and a super asterisk next to it. But when it comes to this idea that hey, these for profit companies are come through and destroy it, part of me is like I don't know if they will. They could come through and fix it. I mean, to be like, I'm going to say that with like a massive, like, grain of salt. Like, it's like Himalayan sea salt. Yeah. Like, it, it, like, I like the idea that education is seen as a public good and it needs to be a public good that's uh, accessible to the world around them and taught to the world, uh, the greater world. But we are now living in the 22nd century. Um, to be honest, you know, we're, we are, looking to the world around us and i believe that it is so deep in the weeds with with ancient architectural philosophy and just lost in its own grandeur that it needs to change and i Part of me is going, well, if we make it a corporate entity, <clears throat> maybe it will get better light. Maybe it will get 
more maybe teachers will get more pay maybe it will become something like nature like yeah maybe they'll um, get more funding yeah more funding will come through the system i mean you run it like a for-profit enterprise in a way i don't know like i'm not i'm not saying it's the right answer i'm just saying it it could be a possible choice. I mean, before ISDs, schools were all single schoolhouse rooms. They were all there. There was no districts. There was no systems like that around. And that happened in nineteen. Um, what was it nineteen fifty six fifty? No, nineteen fifty eight fifty nine. When that happened up actually in Flint, Michigan, that's where it all started. This concept of let's make a schoolhouse a community center. And then around it, we create a district of other community centers where that has the schools working together in a uniform grouping. So that's where you have like the different consolidated school systems, this this uh, integrated district to this thing. You start to see those pop up in that time frame because they thought about let's unify them together and create a community system where the community is working to feed the school and the school is working to support the community and the community works for the school, the school works for the community. The buildings are technically open to the community and we can make that happen. But as the years progressed, it's been more along the lines of school versus community and community versus school and funding is not going the right way. And well, and you get that now that's what, what should be and what shouldn't be taught or, yeah, you get the people standing in the school board saying that we don't talk about this in our house, so it shouldn't be talked in the school buildings, and this is not this right. This core math, core math is horrible. Why are we teaching this weird math about numbers and letters and stuff? Like, why is this problem? And core math is just all it means is if I move from Michigan to Alabama, they're teaching the same the thing. Same damn thing. That's it. That's the only, that's the only thing it means. That's it. Not this weird like flappy weird math thing that some random teacher tried to figure out because they went to a pd and thought it was cool so they're going to do this cool math you know thing no core math is if i learned it in michigan and i moved to alabama it's the same math that's it it's amazing how many people don't understand that people listening that is exactly what core math is it's not some demon math um oh kids learn everything in base too i mean actually to be honest Right now, science, so math, language arts, science are all core math systems now. If you go to any state at the roughly the same time, they're learning the same things. Mm-hmm. The only one that is not core is social studies uh, because different states focus on um, state education over other things. Um, and it's comical to think about, like, if you go to Texas right now, in middle school they're very heavily focused on texas edu- texas history history yeah um and then if i went up to alaska they're talking about alaskan history right now and native native culture history and then i go over to maine and they're working on uh world war ii history and then i'm over here in the u.s teaching ancient world history same time frames same subject area different topics so if you were a very transient student because your parents moved every three or four months, you're just all over the place. So that was the same thing with math is they like, we got to fix this math problem and people move a lot more. So 
if they move from, you know, Michigan to Texas, they're going to be learning the algebraic equations at the same time. That's it. It makes sense. Mm. It's just, I don't know. And then if you also go look at like the state standards for every state, Michigan has the most condensed in-depth social aid standards than any state I've ever seen. Every other state is like uh, five, four or five pages per grade. Michigan's like 10 pages per grade of things that we have to cover or talk about. Do they limit you what you can't cover? And They never, they don't limit on can't. Okay. I um, know with a lot of things going on, you know, in the news, whether you're left or right, there's things people want or don't want in yes. curriculum. So there's a ton of that. Um, like back to my crazy, crazy person, he wanted me to teach um, his culture um, of people. And I was like, okay, what, what culture of people are you talking about? He's like, they're from Germany. So, okay. 1942 to 1940. I'm like, no. <laughs> I was just going to say. <laughs> I literally would like, nope. Nope. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, that is not a culture of people. Like, no, I'm out. Goodbye. I'm German and I'm not even offended. I was just like, <laughs> no. That's not a good idea. No. No, that is not a culture of people. That is an event. That is a human, that's a political movement. That is not a culture of people. Yeah. Get out of here. You um, are looking through the wrong lens, my friend. I'm also, even then, I'm endorsed by the uh, the this, um, the Olga Institute for uh, Educators, um, which is a Holocaust education program. I'm one of their, like an endorsed member of that group. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I have a certificate for like I've, I've also posted it. Like I have a massive posting explaining like what it is. <laughs> it's like I am also like like a forefront educator in Holocaust education programs in Michigan. <laughs> and you're telling me you want me to do that. Um uh, no. Like back off, boss. You're gonna have um, to put a Mr. Nine longer down the hall if you want to ask about that. I was like, yeah, no, it's not happening. Um, but yeah, that that was that person. But anyways, I mean, overall. I mean, that's my, like, I don't know. Like I said, I put the note out there, like, yeah, I threw the, threw the caveat, the axe, I like to say that maybe having corporate influence is not a bad idea. Now, do I think that we should have, like, all these small, like, you know, the, these small, weird offset secular school systems and, and no, I, the secular schools, I, you know, single mind thought processes are never valid. I don't think those help. I think some people like to have that more you know religious taught programming and that's mm-hmm. what they want for their family that's fine do i think that's necessary for everybody no no do what you want to do with that that's your boat ride it go to town I have it to used to be it used to be pretty easy you could just go to school you had your your common your common subjects for that you math you know whatever science class you were in english uh social studies whatever you know yeah. you were doing and then you had electives where you could pick your your person you know the things you wanted to try or enjoy and yeah. you know if they could do something like come up with something like that well even then like i mean like i was saying that the secular groups can stay with what they are and i think yeah. that i don't think public funds well i'm not even talking religion i don't think public funds should yeah. ever pay for secular education in any format 
Yeah, I don't got a problem with that. That that's a whole nother like that's private. That's your thing. You do it. Mm-hmm. You know, because separation church and state, hundred percent. Mm-hmm. No, I'm good with that. Yeah, do that. Um, I think that education should be a public good. It should be paid by the public. It should be supported by the public. It should be something that everyone has to do. You have to mm-hmm. go through education. Um, because it's for the betterment of this the the society. I think yeah, 100 valuable. That's the public. <laughs> um, but do you know maybe a corporate entity can take this and streamline processes or provide do a better job of managing workflow management. I guess you say and like come up with like <clears throat> you know this is what we want to do. And yes, it's for profit. They're gonna make money. Duh. I, I work for a charter school. The charter school makes money. But they also treat us very well. <laughs> like they do help me out quite a bit. Um, and which is nice because I don't have to work two jobs. Like it makes my life easier. I could focus on working with kids more. I can call my kids later in the evening and talk to them because their parents work all day. And I'm like, hey, that's when you heads up. Little Johnny's doing a wonderful job at this, and this is what's happening. Um before that. I couldn't do that. It wasn't something with my books. Yeah, so, makes sense. Or I didn't want to do it because I was exhausted. No, I think there could definitely be some benefits from uh, that. And even like you said, the for profit where they make the money part, some of that's going to get reinvested if they're good and they do things strategically from a business perspective. I'm saying not even whether they care about yeah. the education system or not. They'll, reinvest that they can continue to make more money by upgrading their programs and their offerings like any business would. So there's potential where it could be run well. Now the downside I think is if you get a crappy management group or crappy high. With everything you're going to have. You have risk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to be the best all end all answer. So I guess I may say that I'm kind of for that old concept of like to agree, like a school choice option. Like, Mm -hmm you can participate in this you know non-secular public education system you have now or you can do this corporate non-secular organization that provides this fine those are your choices pick the which one you want to go they're both free for you let's do that and again i'm thinking non-secular there's no i always say i'm not i'm really not a fan of the idea of the religious component because i'm big proponent between separation church and state yeah and that's fine. If you are thinking about church and education, like reference that if my school wanted to have, for example, like a Bible study, then in turn, I have to offer and open up the opportunity for every other religious group to have that opportunity. It doesn't matter what they follow. If you follow the spaghetti monster, for all I know, they will get that opportunity in the same space and same value. So in a public school, that's the ruling. If one door opens, they all open. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Like, there's no question. There's no if and or buts. It could be the the man hater club, and it's a religious group. The doors open. Doors open for rest of them. So, um, that's where I kind of like. If it's a public, it's a public thing, and there's a lot of things in the public. You take it all, like, or not at all. Just not at it. That's fine too. So, anyways, I don't know. I've been I've been standing up here talking for a lot. I guess Jeremy, what <laughs> what am I missing? What you here? have? 
I've been babbling, I feel like, for a while about this. And it, like I said, I'm sweating. I'm getting emotional to a degree. Like it's Ooh. it's a it's it's a horror, it's 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 a deep subject. Like it's there's no right or wrong, I don't believe, for the system. I don't think there's one word that works. That's why it's nice that every state has their own little like twist on it, I guess. But I don't know, like being here for 10 years, seeing the the teacher recessions that are happening, the shortages of teachers right now, teachers yeah. giving up. The... I think that should be the one of the first things that knuckleheads that run the show right now, what no matter what side you're on, should try to fix, whether it's increasing the teacher pay or reducing responsibility if you're not going to increase the pay that much. Um, I've seen some things where uh, they're talking about increasing pay for teachers. I don't know. If, I don't. I didn't get what context if it was a federal or some state. Mm, we're talking there's about. There's some state ones that um, are out there that they're not even talking about increasing pay. It's just providing benefits. To well, I've seen some that were talking about starting starting some teachers at sixty thousand. I, I don't know. I, I need to look and see what article it was. So I'm not going to say, hey, that's the solution. But I think that'd be something they should look at. Is a general idea. Yeah, and or cutting down responsibilities if they're not well, going to pay a lot. Well, even then, we're talking. They need to pay. slow. They need to slow the teacher loss down. That's the yeah. biggest thing. Well, the school I went to, so I graduated from a school that's in Michigan that's that is known for education. Like they're known for the College of Education. They started at education. I was going to say. I'm I mean, gonna... I'm not going to say the school on here, but it's right there. Um, they started like they started um in Michigan as being a normal college, which was in turn was farming and education. And that was their whole stick. And when I went into the program, I was one of three, one of 2000 applicants going into the education field. When I started in 2000 and I think it was 2006 when I applied for that college. Now, now today they have seven. Wow seven applicants going in uh, seven in the winter the fall they haven't got their applications in but i'm going to toss a number of like 25 like that's not much no one's going into the field and yeah i wonder why they're listening <laughs> to the old guys that don't do this yeah um, i mean there's no benefits to it anymore and there's they used to like in Michigan you used to have a great pension system you can sign up for and get like just you know you can retire at in 30 years and be comfortable. Not around anymore. It's gone. That's the problem. I still think the way that teachers are set up for failure, whether it's pressure from parents, pressure of expectations, or financial pressure of not having good uh, whether it's retirement or just general wage to live, I think, you know, it's a fail, fail on all three accounts. And when you lose the teachers, that only exacerbates the problem. Well, it's not even that. Well, then who are you going to put into the positions? Like, who, the next problem is well, what do you put in there? Like, you have. Well, they're going to have to figure. I mean, they have. It's going to be. <laughs> it would probably be a three to five year solution if they came up with stuff that they agreed on tomorrow. You're gonna to have to get people reinterested in the field. You may have to pay teachers that are considering retiring more to hold them off from retiring for a few years, which is or, gonna cost you. Well, that's but you need to change their perception also. 
of telling people to get out of the field because everything sucks and it's not going to get better. And then, I mean, you're in the, it's going to cost a lot up front because you've got to keep the workforce that's there there for three or five years until you can get trained and get these new teachers certified and ready to go. Well, they were one of the big initiatives they're doing. Like, hey, if you retired, come back into the program. That's cool. Let's pull a retiree back in. That's fine. But pulling an 87-year-old teacher back into the education field now, it's like going to be pulling in like – a bull into a china shop like they're not going to want to one come in but if they do come in they're going to be so set in their old ways because they did it back in the day this way and they've been out yeah. of reteaching for 20 plus you know 30 years or 20 or 15 yeah. years or so yeah i don't think that would be a, that would be a viable solution or I mean, um, that's changed too much has changed yep or they've been doing like in florida like pulling in like um like veterans um, retiree veterans into the system that's mm -hmm. fine but i've never met a veteran that wants to like get close to a kid and work with somebody like to the level of like super intensity like there's people out there like, don't get wrong i'm not knocking veterans but it's a high stress moment sometimes when you're dealing with 30 adolescent teenagers and they're just doing whatever like they're not military they're not going to listen to you <laughs> what do you get like, some marine corps drill sergeant in there like I, my student teacher was a military drill sergeant, hundred percent. Like she was, had, kids sit, do this, do this. My, like, I had a Spanish teacher. He served. He was a Puerto Rican veteran, uh, and he was my Spanish teacher. Guy yeah. was a nice guy. He was pretty mellow, but his thing, he and he did it. It happened twice during the year I had him. He had flashbacks from when he was in Vietnam. I've never seen, and he was a, a big boy, great guy. I've never seen such a big boy dive behind his desk. Out of nowhere. And tell people to get that. Yeah, just teaching and all of a sudden. Well, it wasn't like completely absent because he kind of like looked up like he was looking into somewhere else, like looking into the distance or something. And yeah. he just went diving behind the desk. And it not quite the same scenario the second time, but he was behind the desk again. Yeah. I mean, he didn't maybe this whole thing lasted maybe five minutes each time, and he came back out of it. And when he was back, he was fine. But it was so I mean, weird. But I mean, I know that's an extreme one, but yeah, like you said, just the discipline that I mean, a drill sergeant. I mean, they're just they're raised different. My my aunt, different, yeah, different. Weird, it's a career military people. Yeah, she taught I mean, at West Point, and they tried to get her to teach uh, in the civilian world, and she's like, "No, that's not a good idea." I mean, they might, you know, they I give if they're a veteran, they could do it. That's fine, do it. Mm -hmm. Like I agree with that, but I just as a general wholesale system, I don't yeah. think I don't see that as being. No, you have to treat it like you would any other applicant. Yeah, but I feel skills. like <laughs> but like in Florida, like you're a veteran. Here's a certificate to teach. Go. Like that's how yeah. it works there, and I was like, oh, well, and I get uh, they're trying to get work for veterans, which is a different subject, and that's fine. Yeah, but it's not a, you know, it's not a blanket solution that's going to help. You know, yeah, fix the the shortage. Like, going in education, I had to do, I don't know what, I was in there for five years, taking, you know, sixteen credit hours a semester on either education or history or social studies topics, and yeah. you know, talking about working with children and how to deal with education and pedagogy and how do you develop a class and how do you make a place 
feel comfortable enough for students to learn and listen and talk and not worry about what's going on at home and all that stuff. And, you know, the part of the show I like to say is like, you're doing all that, you're creating that environment. And it's, it's something that not many people can do. And no, you're not really taught that. And I don't think there's many classes. There's, there's ways to learn it. Like you can learn it happening, mm-hmm. but it, to just be like, all right, Jeremy, you're going to go like, if you think you go sub in a classroom, if you're sitting here on the podcast and going, oh, go to your local district, sign up to be a sub. They pay darn good money. Like I get paid hundred dollars now, a hundred dollars a day to go work for eight hours, like wait for six hours. Mm-hmm. Stupid money, easy going. Especially nowadays, you every day you can make hundred bucks. Go sign up to be a sub in a class. You tell me after a week that you're just going to lose your mind, like. I was the kid that made you cry. Like that was my like I in school. I was the kid that made the subs cry, and so <laughs> like I made my student teacher ball. She was like, I remember her just crying. Me and my friends I was like, uh, we pushed too hard, guys. Like, <laughs> uh, funny. So, Man. but kids are mean, and it's it can get vicious, and you know, you just. A day goes by and like you don't know what's gonna happen. Never like yeah, a day, yeah. people will be best friends the next day they're punching each other in the face and you're like, what is going on? Yeah, you gotta I've, have the right personality, I think. I've been in so many weird fights and I'm like sitting there going, What are you guys doing? <laughs> like you were best friends two minutes ago. You came back in here and so and so says something and all of a sudden you're punching each other in the face. What's going on? And then try to get the class back together to t- go back and talk to them about the the American Revolution after that. It's like you're done. That hour's gone. You're a waste. I don't know. You got to label Go one sub. of the kids as a, as a British turncoat or something. Yeah. yeah. Benedict Arnold betrayed you. If you're skillful, you got to be skillful at that point. You're like, you got to figure that out. And yeah, it, it, it happens. But oh, man, it was, those are days. But yeah, this all spawned off from a TikTok from my mind. Like, this is just, I, I don't know. Like, we'll have to American put the actual TikTok in the show notes. I lost it. I did. It was one of those things I came across, listened to it, and then I hit the home button and I put it down. I was like, I wish I saved that because I really want to go at it. But well, it's it's out. the education system in America is secondary to everything else. It's the teachers are getting grinded out. The I would not be surprised in the next year. We'll see. Hopefully, massive change, if not massive problems. Like next school year, I don't see the teachers this year are just going to be done. They're holding on the long enough. They're with my group right here. Like we're making to the edge of that teacher forgiveness moment. We're trying to see if our loans will be forgiven or what's going to happen. And if that happens, then cool. We'll be very pleased with our lives. But if it doesn't happen, then the exodus. They were out like, yeah. Like I might, I found out that my 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 student loan debt that I was told for many years will be removed because I've gone into public education and been doing this is now not going to happen. And I own a good Ferrari worth of loans that's been building up and growing. Man, so what am I gonna do? Yeah, exactly. 
Like I can't afford a $700 extra payment a month. And yeah, I went in education. It is my fault. I had to take loans out to do this. I didn't get paid enough to pay for the education system. We won't go down the whole loan world, but I was told by the federal government and other people that I'm in education. You qualify to do this, go 10 years in education, do the income driven repayment process, do what you can. We'll get to the end and you're pretty much going to pay off your loan value. We'll, just re re we'll remove the debt. Yikes. I forgot that part. They're like, Oh, uh, some things change. You don't qualify. It might be unconstitutional. Well, that's in the courts now. They're doing all this weird stuff. So found out today they're doing some deep dive stuff. So we'll we'll find out. I hope they go deep enough. Yeah. But that's a different story for a different podcast. So hopefully you enjoyed my babbling about the education system here in America. Um, maybe learned a thing or two or have turned this off because you're like, you're dumb and you don't hear me talking anymore. Um, Even if they hate you, they're going to listen. I hope so. That's the beauty if, about Twitter. And please give me, you know, if you agree or disagree or you think that I'm just a bunch of hookah, like, put it in the comments for me. I I always go back and we try to look for them and read through them. And Jeremy sends me them if they pop up. or From, For this week only. It'll just be Diabolic's uh, socials. <laughs> please follow him. Please follow him and just rant on him for a while. Yeah. <laughs> but... We really don't try. Okay, we really don't try to make this political. But like Jamie's like, you should just let this. He's poking the bear all day. He's like, you should just yeah. let this fly. This would be fun I content. I was like, I think it's a good topic to cover as parents. Yeah, man. Clause thirty-seven of our podcast foundational agreement. <laughs> parents, it's an elastic clause. It's just like the Constitution. Gives me a lot of power. Yeah, <laughs> we should, we try to talk about parent things. I mean. Oh, like, I mean, like, I guess what, I mean, you threw some things in here. I mean. We should do part two. I didn't even get to some of the stuff I wanted to do. Like, what's your I teaching? know. Like, well, let's, keep, let's just put down here. Let's keep going, Jeremy. Let's make it the long one. This is the oh, long I can keep episode. going. I'm good. Yeah. What do you got, Jeremy? I got some time. Um, Well, I think with, like, touching on what their aim should be and what shouldn't be in school and things that are banned i think um especially as parents uh you know like the, the types of books like who's the who's to tell a teacher what they can and can't teach everybody mm -hmm. just because they're a kid they don't want their kid learning or on the flip side where they want they want their kid to learn something that's maybe a lot less offensive than what your uh, special parent try to get you to, to teach about culture but you know, I don't know what makes these people qualified to think that just because, you know, what's good or what's not, especially when it's been fine for hundreds of years, you know? Yeah, it's it's because they watch Facebook and they believe that yeah. there's these there's the fear that they will not have the control anymore. They never did. Well, it, that's the honest. It's the fear. It's the fear they'll lose control. And 
I can speak from experience when I talk to these parents, because I talk about religion a lot in my class. Because I talk about culture. And I'll get parents that'll kind of go at me about me teaching their kid about religions. And then I have to explain to them that, yes, I am teaching about religion because it's a thing. It happens. There's people around this world that believe certain things, certain ways. And it's my job to educate them on these possibilities of maybe meeting a certain person that wears a hijab or wears a cross or wears a yarmulke or um, wears, you know, talks and carries a certain sword or does certain things in certain ways that they understand that person. It's We live in a world that is multifaceted and mm-hmm. I my job is to cover that that's my role and explaining history based on historical evidence to support that now you believe one thing or believe a certain role in a history fine believe that do that at home explain that to your child that's fully in your rights I'm never going to say they're wrong I'm going to say due to historical evidence based on common or peer review and peer support, this is what we're going to follow. Fine. Believe what you want at home. Oh, and that's the thing. I mean, people, it's, it, you're not teaching it in a secular way, like how to believe in this or going mm-hmm. into their personal, in the, that particular religions or cultures belief. You're just teaching that this stuff exists. And it might be something like you say you encounter, mm-hmm. and now, that people I... should know. People should be aware of that and know how to handle it. Mm-hmm. So if they don't understand it, then how do they handle it? We all see what happens when people don't understand something. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go well. No, and, and the people book don't thing... understand too with history. It's like they just the. I mean, there's just no. I don't know. Some of the lenses and biases people don't—they just don't understand. If they think if people understood bias, they'd be able to understand why. I'm gonna go on a quick rant now. My turn. Um, <laughs> humanity. I know that has like religion and a lot of those sensitive topics. That, but I think if people were to go through some classes, they'd learn how to investigate and ask questions to understand things. And then they could apply that all their life. Their relationships mm-hmm. with people would be 10 times better because they'd understand it and the value of the idea and the differences between them. But people don't understand. They didn't understand what lenses were, how to go, how to look at something, whether it's a political lens or a cultural lens or historical lens. And then, you know, they'll say, well, history was like this. Well, even history, the like historians, history is constantly changing because we look at things, we critique people's previous interpretations of it. History, sometimes you can go through and look at sources that were there at the time. And maybe this guy 50 years removed is going to come down and more things will come out. Like everything's it's ever evolving. So like people thinking that like, we can't teach about slavery, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not going to put our foot in the pool toe and water we'll just jump right in um but like don't teach about that critical race theory don't teach about that like mm-hmm. hey you've got to understand the importance of it 
They're not doing it to make you feel bad. If you're just listening to the facts and the experiences, they're not talking about you. They're not trying to hurt your feelings. You know, whoever's talking about it. And then on top of that, everybody acts like they're teaching this to your kindergartner or first grader. Like, all oh, these parents, I don't want my kids to learn about this stuff. Like, girl, the race theory is not taught in high school. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to go to like a secondary the level, that, level the, of education. The way that, that it's really supposed to be taught, yes, is very high level. Yeah. Yeah. But people just don't, they don't even, they don't even, even like, even like that, I remember, or even then, I remember like being in elementary school and they did this underground railroad thing and they had us yeah. act like we're going through the underground railroad and do yeah. all these different things. It was super cool and I thought it was super fun and I learned a lot and explained a little bit about like the processes and like how they deal with this situation. They, you know, they had dogs barking and we had like go through the mm-hmm. swamp. Like, you know, today that would be <laughs> like, no, like, no. Nobody was offended. I remember one of the first times we did something like that. I didn't have black kids in my class. It was cool. And no, no parents were offended because it was some, you know, we were alerted about a different culture or an event. But even like when it comes it comes to that stuff, like I remember talking to one of these parents and they're like, well, we don't want them not following our religion anymore. And it's like, I'm not trying to convert your child. Like you have to realize that. Like, and I go out of the 10 years, 12 years of it doing this, majority of the time they get a more appreciation for their religion. It's a mm-hmm. different perspective and they can see it differently. And then they can either gain that respect for it or they can question it. That's not my doing. That's just me giving them evidence or giving them answers. And if they decide that they want to question it, then they can question it. And nine times out of 10, they are more along the lines of appreciating it more. And it's, I'm not like, I'm not blowing smoke on that. It's something that I've seen happen more and more. Yeah. And, and I go, yes, when they're older, they may question it later on. Like every young adult does. Yeah, I didn't have anything to do with one person or one. I go, that's a, that's a different banana. But I go, what I'm doing with your student now is just that. And so, but I'll let you continue your rant. Oh, no, you're good. Um, But no, I think if people were to ask questions instead of just questioning you right away, to start asking questions, mm-hmm. it would, things would go a lot better in terms of connection, you know, people being able to see where the other person's viewpoint is or going with good be faith. able to get informed. Or going with good faith that the person that they're, they're talking to is not <laughs> at all malicious in their intent. No. Like, I understand there's experiences. There's people out there that are, there's teachers out there that are very malicious in their abilities and I get that. Mm-hmm. And I've seen and talked to situations where that's happened because I work with administrators and I go, oh, that happened at your school? That is ridiculous. Like, yeah, that was a bad situation. But those are one-offs. Well, that crap comes to the top eventually. It's humans. Yeah, it's like any field. I mean... You're going to have the one or two nut jobs. Yeah, you're going to find... I mean, that kind of crap rises to the top, no matter what what field or what, what situation you're in. I mean... Yeah, I just... It's like... uh, But I feel like the Facebook... Sound clouds, I like to call them that they they echo too much and then they cause like massive fear, like 
Mm-hmm. Which the best example of this is the cat letter. The cat letter situation is hilarious to the point where it went up through into Congress and having these massive debates about the cat litter in the classroom. And I had to debunk somebody about that. The only, only reason why there was ever cat litter in a classroom, it was not for the furries to go potty. <laughs> it's to pick up blood since Columbine. Ever since Columbine, all districts are requested to place some form of cat litter in areas for situations of bile or human issues to mm-hmm. help deal with that. That's a different banana entirely. So most classrooms in the state in the, in the U S have trauma kits in their classrooms now. And yeah, that's where the cat litter comes from. It's not for curries. It's for. That. I had to address that with somebody this past Saturday. I guess that, awesome. Yeah, and I always enjoy that one. Other people are like, this is furious for groups in the bodies, and this is ridiculous, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, first off, kids have Snapchat. You would not believe Twitter. How many kids would have taken a picture of the cat litter box yeah. and put it all over the internet? No one, there's no evidence of it out there. <laughs> like, go to Reddit. You, you would see some kid doing it. There's oh, not. That makes, that makes my day. But they're like, no. Like I think it was a as a politician that did it like, no, do you realize we made a, a law like requested students or schools to do this? Because not even like well, not even like the like blood and stuff like that, but like when a kid throws up like yeah, you know, throw the cat litter on it so that it doesn't become a biohazard. No, exactly. But... I mean anything <laughs> anything that's liquid like that you wanna yeah. pick up. I mean even uh, I mean, we used to do it at, when I worked in retail, especially with uh, detergent. Yeah. I mean, oh, it's just... slippery, but that cabinet just absorbs everything. It's just funny. And like, I always enjoy the fact that they're just like in, like, I see like political politicians doing that stuff. Like, no. No. I just wish somebody would have walked in dressed up as one while they were saying that. I think that's pretty funny. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> but yeah, people are questioning stuff without asking questions always gets me. And I think it's just, I mean, it's a problem beyond just education, but with all of the stuff in the news and the, you know, the district meeting board meetings and, uh, you know, the public forums that different districts have you know you see all that stuff in the news so it just makes me laugh about you know what can be and i think like i mean i think i don't think you know a good thing that's come out of that i I mean i don't mind them having a committee that looks at things and at least can say hey we we looked at it i mean i Mm. think stuff like that but um yeah i just i laugh when like one person thinks everybody should follow their particular yeah. idea. So. And uh, actually, I thought about this too before I uh, we finish our topics here. The uh, when it comes to pay too, there is so when you go when you apply for teaching, you have what you call like the consortium. And it's mostly this, like all the teaching positions you can apply for in any district. Every district kind of has like a, a consortium of 
applications they collect digitally and it's what it's done um, there's also a like administration one as well and that one is also very open to show the pay so um, like if you go to your websites and start like typing in like you know administrative positions and they usually will pop up with something like that um, go check the pay on admin and like school boards and all those positions um yeah it's ridiculous i had a friend that worked for a district that or a friend i say an acquaintance i don't even think of a friend he was a he was i knew through somebody um and we start talking about pay and i was like oh yeah i make this much because he, he was an accountant for a district and yeah being an accountant you want to give them more money so they don't steal money type thing but he was making seven mil a year and he worked three months. Yeah, tax season. I mean that's it. And he gets paid tax dollars. He makes close to seven mil a year. Or it was, yeah, no, it was it was three point five mil. It was three point five million dollars a year. He handles, you know, billions of dollars of money, but he only works three months of the year. And it's like I've looked at even like how the schools and smaller towns that I've lived in. I've looked at some of theirs. And some of the principals even make some really good money. They do. And you know? and even uh it's all public knowledge. It's not hard to yeah. find. Any no, school no. district across the US, it's all public knowledge. Oh public it's, schools, yeah. Well, even then if if it's a union school like a union rep school, you can request pay per teacher. No, no questions. Cause they all know that you talk to the union rep. Like I would like to know the pay of this teacher. I just want to know what's going on. Or I want to know the pay of the district per teacher per this mm-hmm. person. They might not give exactly like that person's name, get this much money, but they'll give them a number and that much. And you, you can guess like. For the ones I looked at, they, you know, they gave out, they had teachers listed. Yeah, know, some do. Some had a longer tenured teachers listed at least. Yeah, usually the higher ones I'll put on there, like the bigger ones that are getting more money, will put their names on there. Um, but yeah, you 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 can look it up. I had a friend that just he left teaching, and he was making seventy thousand dollars, and he was working ten years, but he worked two hours out of the day. And the only reason he makes that much is because he ended up becoming a union rep and like working a system and becoming this weird like yeah. process and like I'm like dude. I get it, but like, I will never get that far. Like, there's no, there's no path for me to make that action happen. So, it's surprising. But yeah, if you go look, go look up like what positions are like a school board, a school board member, a member of a school board. Anyone can be a member of a school board. Can make minimum seventy thousand. Minimum. And you don't have to have a teaching background. No, it's administrative. That's why. Yeah, I, I had thought about it at some point. I had thought about a superintendent, especially now they have a lot of them open. But well, like, super like a superintendent. Okay, there's a difference between a school board and superintendent. Like a school board member is a community position. A superintendent, mm-hmm. you have to have a doctoral degree. Oh, that I did not know. Yeah. So, like, 
the way it kind of works out, or you have to have an ed and at least a minimum and a specialist degree, which is pretty much a doctoral without right. It's a doctoral without writing your doctoral thesis. Thesis, yeah. Um, so <laughs> like if you wanted a teacher has to have a bachelor's degree. Um, well, at least in the state of Michigan, a teacher has to have a bachelor's degree and be declared highly qualified in their position. Um, a principal has to carry a master's at minimum and in administration field. So every principal at least has a master's degree um, or department lead has a master's degree usually. And then a uh, superintendent or some principals will have a, a ed specialist or what, uh, which is pretty much a doctoral without a doctoral degree um, or thesis, or they'll have a PhD and they have to have that as a superintendent. Um, so every superintendent should be doctor so-and-so because that's, Okay. They have to have a doctor. Now, when it comes to community, when it comes to school boards, you don't have to be, it's an elected position. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, the superintendent sits on the school board, um, but is not the head of the school board. The school board is fully elected by the populace. And that position could be anybody. And they make 72 whatever thousands of dollars a year doing meetings yeah i guess i don't know it just it's a weird system i just get my glamour shots and start working on my popularity yes Here's all right well on the brink of death oh man i already <laughs> seen my campaign going yeah no, i think we've uh i think we've exhausted this topic beyond belief now yeah, but no, I think uh, sadly I don't think we did. But, no, uh, we could go deeper, but I think but we exhausted ourselves. Hour and thirty-four minutes. Hour and thirty minutes. Now. Yeah, we've exhausted ourselves for the day on the topic. Our listeners are still listening. They're like, "Yeah, we're done." Nah, I think people that are listening enjoy it one way or the other. So, or have an opinion at least. So, we definitely want to hear it. Give me the opinions. I want to hear yeah. them. Exactly. I'll have uh, my socials, which are. D Tutor oh one. Oh, actually, and, uh, <laughs> just toss out there. You know that is not my tag anymore. I fixed it. It's the full thing now. Is at Diabot Tutor zero one. Well, believe me, I will get no blame for fire directed at me. So I will make. I, I will take the fire and. No, like said, the ones listening to this, I mean, I understand. I come from a, a position of support. I come from a position of love. I don't want. I don't want the, the world to collapse around me. I just, the there's things out there that I believe that needs to be fixed. And, you know, I've thought about it long and hard. I've talked to other co, you know, co people or uh, coworkers as well as other people in the field. And, you know, everyone's going to have their opinion on what's going to be the best way to fix this. And mm-hmm. we just know that there is a problem. And mm-hmm. in education, there is a problem with it. And it just needs, it needs to change. We just don't know. This is my little caveat. Like, I don't know what else to do. This is my option. It didn't work this way. Let's try this way. You know, like, you know, I, I think a discussion is a good uh, thing to have. So the yeah. more opinions you get, the more thoughts, usually something is the best solution. Participation is. And then that way, you know, you get, we get more cracks at the apple as a, as a collective group, usually yeah. come up with better solutions. So that's why there's always committees for everything. Exactly. So, all right. Well, Jeremy, I'm going to sign off. I think it's all too right. Late. Sounds good.
All right, guys. Thanks for listening. And uh, like I said, leave your comments or tweet at us or tweet into the DMs or whatever. And uh, we'll definitely respond. So have a good night. Potatoes. <laughs>